Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. With me this week is a special guest. He's kind of a newcomer to our area, and he has a bit of a different idea on how he's going to make his living here and what he's going to be doing to occupy his time. And we're going to pick his brain and find out all sorts of details about that. Welcome, Philip Brodigan. Indeed. So glad to be here. Thank we're you. We're laughing Heather. because there is a novice called a novelist uh, called Philip Brodigan. No, Richard Brodigan. Richard Brodigan. And you're, see, I'm getting you mixed up. I should never have read those books when I was a teenager. Oh, <laughs> definitely culturally significant. Yeah. Well, as long as I don't call you Ruthie or something, I guess, you yeah, know. Yeah, there we go. Come on, tolerate, tolerate me. Be kind, be kind. I don't mind. I am having a ball with it. <laughs> well, Philip, you are, I refer to you as kind of a newcomer and uh, you're a newcomer to our valley or at least for those of us who've been here since Job was a baby. What brings you to the Duval Snoqualmie Valley area? I moved to uh, Hawaii in 2010. And uh, from, ironically, from Woodenville. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> but after nine years in Hawaii, I um, really liked it there. And uh, my wife and I decided that we needed to come back for a number of reasons. Uh, one being a grandchild, the other being uh, intellectual people, uh, and and wait a, uh, wait a minute, you're saying they don't have intellectual people in Hawaii? Oh, oh. <laughs> I was on Kauai, uh, and this is not uh, anything bad against Kauai, but it's a very small community. It's a and there's hundreds and hundreds of tiny tiny communities. They're delightful, they're amazing people, but. Um, we had got the hit when just like we got the hit to move there we got the hit to move back here uh for grandchild uh and and then to for me to take my career to a new level i had purchased a on amazon in pieces uh, a movie studio because after decades uh, i i'm 62 right now and i've been shooting photography since i was 13 and was a professional photographer in the 80s and then opened a marketing design studio uh, in the 90s in Seattle uh, and did, did that for 20 years as well as photography and moved to Hawaii thinking that I could um, work for companies all over the world from Hawaii and it's true, I could. It was sort of a vision quest. It was sort of a, I was always been a fish out of water and not feeling very connected to any sort of land at all, sort of a gypsy and an artistic gypsy and able to make my way wherever I landed and then I'd move and then I'd move again. Uh, so I made my way in Hawaii doing what I do best, which is building um, building launch platforms for people with ideas and, and dreams. And I help their dreams come true in the forms of websites and uh, uh, communications, uh, videos, and that sort of thing, brochures, whatever's needed to communicate to their audience, the amazing stuff that they do, mm -hmm. uh, my clients. And then so we decided, Janice and I decided to move back here uh, in 2019, uh, just before all the, the silliness hit. Um, I'll just leave it at that. And, um, uh, and so we're well ensconced here in Duval and very happy I'm, I became a member of the Duval, the Rotary Club of Duval. Mm -hmm. And it's my first uh, excursion into uh, 
a social experience because I've been such a loner, a freelancer, a solo lancer for 40 years. And, but I really love it here. As we say in Kauai, the energy is really nice. Uh, it's not Kauai energy, but it's, it's, it's a sweet, <laughs> this valley, the entire valley has a very, very sweet energy about it uh, compared to many of the other places. I lived in Chicago and uh, Columbia, Missouri and uh, New Mexico for a short time and that sort of thing. Um, and so Janice and I were looking for a place to just, you know, where are we supposed to be to write out whatever's going to happen. We knew that whatever's happening now would happen. We had that information already. Oh, just, how did again, you again, I'll just leave it at that. Oh, oh <laughs> now, wanna... wait a minute. That's, that's called a tease. <laughs> that's called a tease. <laughs> how come you knew and the rest of us didn't? <laughs> so. well, let's just say um, that I've done a lot of work on the inner and I realized that being incarnate was, I'm just going to go, you know, to the wall here. Uh, being incarnate was extremely confusing for me um, uh, because so little information is given to children as they grow up and as they're so-called educated. And so in the 80s, um, I realized that I had to go within and rebuild uh, my entire structure of who I am and what I'm doing. Uh, with my life and with my service and with my devotion. Um, and so when you go within, you start to connect with other, other timelines, other beings, other dimensions, and you start to listen for things that are going on in the world, or you have, uh, it's, you know, some people call it conspiracy theorists. It, it felt more like a conspiracy journalist to understand what I call the architecture of consciousness, you know, the usual. And, but basically. <laughs> no, I don't know the usual. <laughs> basically, how. I've how lived this... my entire life pretty much on this plane. So, oh, okay. So Fair enough. No, I, that's awesome. Um, and, and my, my journey was that I didn't, you know, this is, I'm sort of a newbie to this and I, I don't want to get all freaky zoid here, but it's super easy for me to do. Um, so I want to stay focused and grounded as in, into the usefulness of one's journey as a, as a person in body and in their life and what they're doing. But I chose my, my world as a, a wizard. I take ideas and I bring them into reality. And I, I've done that since the early eighties. Uh, and so I wanted to study not just the craft or the technology that, that people um, you know, had were taught to, to me and other people or what I could learn, but more like how do people's brains work and how does an idea come to a person? You know, if you walk into a room and it, let's say it's a library in, or, or just a, a room with books in it, what makes you go to that book? What, what, what is the, and, and if you think about time and space as a fixed reality, just as an idea, that you were you had to go to that book because you you know resonated and I'm not going to get into all the science or the metaphysics and all that stuff unless you drill down and I'm happy to but I'm I to, <laughs> no, yeah you may I'm, I invite you to but but you know most of my life I've come off as a loon 
And so, but, but now all this stuff is paying off, you know, the, the fabric of society is literally being uh, crushed from within and the, um, the innate structure of, if you will, the programming of how we're supposed to love our lives and what we're, how we're supposed to be good and all that kind of stuff is, is being revealed for the corruption that, that is rife within it. Um, and it comes to what is the architecture of consciousness and around once you know the map of how things work inside of yourself, then you step forward and say, okay, how can I make this better? Not only for myself, but for my wife, for my, my loved ones, for my children, for, you know, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of times, especially since the advent of radio and television, um, these our our imaginations not our imaginations but people's imaginations have been captured by having all these images thrown into their third eye into their imagination if you will um and so my journey as a person who people come to small business owners and, and medium-sized business owners come to and say i want to build a new a new company and it's called this and da 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 and, and I'm like, and there's, they're like, I need a brochure. I need a website. I need a logo. I need a brand. I need a, I need wheels for the car, you know, whatever it's required to, to present themselves onto the world. Um, and so I was tasked with literally bringing the visuals, the brand, if you will, the presence, I call it into being. And so I wanted to do that with the greatest amount of impeccability possible. And the way, because I'm a solopreneur, I was, let's say, uh, unencumbered by political and, and uh, hierarchical uh, uh, considerations. That, that I was dealing with one person and one person only, this being the owner of the company or something like that. And I would basically have them drill down and make them tell me about their emotions and their feelings and their hopes and their dreams for this new business that they're putting together. And then I would build a brand and the colors and the logos and the, uh, and the brochures, you know, the way that they can make themselves uh, unto the world, show themselves to the world. And I've done that since the 80s. And what's happened is that the technology has become, has sort of caught up to me where I could be a one-man band. So were, were point, you a one-man band before when you were doing your work in your 80, in the 80s? Well, I went to college for, I lasted only a term uh, for those same uh, political slash hierarchical structures, but uh, at Columbia College in Chicago. And I realized that in filmmaking, it was a collaborative craft. You had to get along with others. And one of my challenges is that, and now I find out later, and my wife has informed me a number of times that I'm on this, I'm on the spectrum, as they say, that my the the Asperger's autistic spectrum, I'm on the spectrum, and I had to find a way to cope with the huge amount of stuff going on inside of me, as well as the huge amount of stuff and as an empath going on outside of me. And so what I did is I learned that making films was with all these other people and they'd all, they, the biggest thing that affected me was that their level of quality of work wasn't 
to the level of quality of work that I was used to working in. How did you judge that? To saying, what's that? How did you judge that? You you just said that you compared your work with their work. Their work didn't meet the quality that your work met. How did you judge that? How? Oh what, yeah, you do, well, well what their parameters of quality. Yeah, their films were shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. We're on radio. Uh, okay, let's try <laughs> answering that question that. again, and it's at the twelve minute mark. We have to go through and take that away. Okay. Okay, sorry, dear. <laughs> I'll I'll uh, I'll go back to my radio scale yeah there you go <laughs> okay remember we're we're public radio that's right i forgot yeah okay. good, good. And i apologize okay um, so let's get back to okay how back to this but, but how did you evaluate the quality of yours sure. there what was your price when, when an artist or a person makes something it's their quality of attention that makes the difference between a really nice piece of work and something they're doing to, to impress others the, the wannabes, the, the just okay stuff. Are those two so, things mutually exclusive? Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, no, but, but there's an there's a issue of, especially when you're 20, you know, that a lot of people are going to, people there were going to film school because they wanted to, oh, I'm a filmmaker, da, da, da. you know, they want to press others. And to me, I was an obsessive photographer who was deep inside the science and the philosophy and the metaphysics of light itself. And so what I found out, and it was extremely valuable that, that I wasn't able to work with others at that time, uh, at least in that venue, um, is that I could go and make photography for business owners, because that's who buys photography at that time and sometimes still does. Um, and be a one-man band and apply the maximum amount of quality to that person's job, to that person's project, without the consideration of other people. Is that? Yes. Scan, that makes sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, so I got a job at that time. Do you know what a stat house is? Have you ever heard of that thing? No. Okay. Sears and Roebuck produced a lot of uh, illustrations for their advertising you know, rather than a photography. And everything that they produced needed to have a stat at this time. And this is 1981. They needed to have some, a photo stat made of it so that you took a picture with a huge camera and made a halftone. And that halftone could then be printed on a printing press yes. all over the world. And so I got a job, one of my few jobs that were actual jobs in the world, it, running a stat camera inside of uh, Leo Block Art for Advertising. And the company was called Speedy Stat because there, there weren't any computers. There weren't any, you know, f- uh, uh, postscript, which is a, something Adobe put together and Aldous and, uh, but that's a different thing. But in, so that, that didn't, play out until I, 10 years later, when I arrived in Seattle uh, in my $100 van uh, running on fumes in a snowstorm uh, uh, the 13th of December, 1990. And I 
discovered the Apple computer. I had used the Apple computer before, but I discovered PageMaker and Freehand and all this product that was made here in Seattle. And um, I started realizing that I didn't need the stat house anymore. I didn't need all this stuff. And I could open a, a design studio in this case, a marketing design studio, still make my photography. But what's interesting is I was having my relationship with photography itself. It used to be a, a mystical journey where each photo was precious and each one was, if you will, a sacrament. And when I could start doing graphic design and doing, you know, somebody wanted a picture of a koala. Okay, I'll make a picture of a koala. There's nothing precious about it. And so it freed me up to make a living and I didn't have to have all of my spirituality wrapped in every every grain on every picture and all this sort of you know uh, emotionally tied uh, situations about just doing my work mm -hmm. but I still came up with ideas that didn't exist before mm -hmm. yeah. so then I slowly slowly built that that's in the early 80s no excuse me 90s um and and i'm putting together a documentary of my work a retrospective uh and have been for the last three weeks and building slides of every of not every single piece but the the most important pieces that i did on a decade by decade basis what are you going to do with that actually i want you to think about that because we're going to take a little break and okay. when we come back, I want you to answer me, answer the question of what are you planning on doing with that re retrospective, if you will. So you are listening to Valley Talk. With me is Philip Brodigan. Did I? Yeah, I did it right. Yay. <laughs> and, it's an M. And I, I did say the Brodigam, I think. Okay, yeah. He's, he's making fun of me because I've butchered his name so many times. And uh, so I am apologetic about that, but nevertheless, I plow ahead. <laughs> so with me is our very interesting guest and fairly newcomer to the Snoqualmie Valley. And we're learning all about his existential journey, his, uh, the, 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 I, I made notes here. And we're, we're learning about the political and hierarchical uh, influences in your life. And we're just learning, we're delving deep. We're peeling back your layers. And uh, I'm learning a lot and you can too. You're listening to Valley Talk on Valley 104.9 FM. Come back after this. Local news, local info, Valley 104.9 FM. Join us for Northwest Phenomenon Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 as we cover topics from paranormal activity, conspiracy theories, and more. If you have a story you would like to share, email me, mario at northwestphenomenon.com. We'll see you Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. Northwest Phenomenon. Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation.
Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. With me is our special guest, Richard Brodigam. And you're laughing at me. Am I doing it right? It's Philip! Call me Richard again. It's Philip. Oh, my God. Oh, that's great. I think you know. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's awesome. You know, the thing of it is, is that I hadn't heard, I hadn't thought about that author for decades. I know. Until you. And now I can't. Well, my get name it. comes up and it's, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. I mean, it's just, well. I, I think it's hilarious. And I'm not laughing at you. Oh, um, you can laugh at me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. So, you know, I think it's great. Philip. <laughs> you're, you're saying my name. Yes, I'm saying. Over and I'm over and over again, you know. Like, what, what's the the problem? You are not. This is not <laughs> novel Richard Brodigan, which may, who may or may even not be alive. I'm going to Google just he, to see. He killed himself. He killed Ooh, himself a long time ago, yeah. Oh, that was dark. Okay. Yeah. Well, well yeah. you know, I, I, all these years, I kept thinking, I'm going to reread his work. Cause you know how you, you read something when you're young and it, oh, you just have all sorts of oh, yeah. know, deep thoughts and all this kind of stuff about what you read. And then you go back 20 years later or 30 years later and you read it and you think, what the heck was I thinking? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you've now triggered for me that you, you like, are uh, a visit from the universe that I should go back and reread that. Philip Philip K. Dick and, yeah. <laughs> and, and Gibson and juicy bits. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. So Philip. <laughs> yes, Heather. Yes. There we go. There <laughs> I got go. it right. Yeah. You, well, mine's not as hard. I was never, I'm not related to any, uh, any novelists. <laughs> so in all. No, but your name would make a beautiful brand on something. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it has a poetic lyricism to it that that would make a gorgeous brand. Oh, really? Just so you know. I mean, well, you know, in my early days of radio, most people make up their names for radio. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know. Of course. And well, you dabbled in radio too, so you know this. Yep. I never did, however, because <laughs> I I always said I'm too stupid to remember my name because I never did just one radio station at a time. I would do three or four. I would go you know, from Cairo to Como to, you know, I, I would go back and forth, like every five minutes, I'd have a different radio station. Perfect. And if I had a different name, it was one more thing I'd have to remember. So I never changed my name. I That'd just, be tedious. Yeah. However, I did dabble at one point with Heather Starr instead of Heather Oh, Starr. okay. Now that I thought had a ring to it. Yeah, it's a porn name now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is Heather Stark. I yeah, that's one, true. One of, my, one of my colleagues told me that in radio, and every time he'd walk into the studio, he'd go, "Oh, Heather Stark, I'm a big admirer of your work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just it, it applies to Hollywood acting too. You know, it's got a ring. It yeah, make it excellent. You know, good yeah. job. Yeah, well, come up with a line of anything you want. I can brand it for you. <laughs> okay, all right. Now I have to think of something that would make make money for us. That, that's, that's right. And passive revenue now that we're in our, our mature years. Yes. We. <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's no denying it at a certain point, is there? <laughs> Just lush out in it. <laughs> you know what? I, you know, I did an informal survey once. This was just among women. I didn't do it among among men. But when I was much younger, I went, I worked with a lot of older women and I was actually a professional Girl Scout for a while. So oh. I, I was in the world of women and 
it gave me an opportunity to ask all sorts of things because I, I never really had a, a woman role model growing up. And so I had a chance to ask and, and pluck from these women, you know, ideas and thoughts that I perhaps had never been exposed to before. And one of the things that I asked them is, if you could go back and be 25, would you? And without exception, the answer was no. Yeah, same here. You know, at, at, without no exception. Way. Now, I did get a few, if I could have the 25-year-old body back, but keep my mature brain. Oh, yeah, that would be different. Then. Yeah, 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 they would have done that. But no, there, I never found one person who said, yes, they'd go back to being 25. And I think if I could have the technology I had now, have now, and go back and be 25, that's different. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I sit there thinking, if, if you had some of the breadth of experience when you were 25 yeah. That, yeah. that you have now, you know, but I don't know. The other question that I always asked, and I asked women who had no children, and I asked women who had as many as six children, did you have the right number of children? Was that right for you? And almost without exception, the response was, well, one more. Oh. I would have liked one more. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's telling. Yeah. That's huge. That's a. More. Yeah. And whether it was somebody who had no children, well, I think I would have liked one, you know, and even to the woman who had six. One wow. more. I could have that done one. That says more. a lot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The other, you know, we're straying from your, your interview. And we are, we are. Other, and well, to, back to, back to me. Well, uh, well I was going to tell you one other, one other little uh, impromptu <laughs> survey that I did is what is your most important accomplishment? What's the most important accomplishment in your life? And again, these were women. And some of these women had PhDs in scientific fields. I mean, these were high powered women intellectually. And I asked them, what is your most important and significant accomplishment that you've done in your life. I was young and had no children at the time. And again, without exception, the women who had children responded, my children. Even wow. if they had PhDs, even if they'd been novelists, wow. even if they, they said my children. And of course, in my ignorance, I looked at them and rolled my eyes and thought, good Lord, even gerbils can reproduce. I'm talking about your accomplishments, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I had children. <laughs> and you had children. Yes. And you, and you got it, right? Yeah, and then I got it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting life. Um, let's talk. I asked you a question when we went to break. Do you remember I, that question? I do remember that question. I'm activating narcissist mode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you you asked me what I was gonna do with this retrospective. Yes. So and I mean what are you going to do with this retrospective of basically your life? You know, yes. I mean, we've already established that neither well, of us is a spring chicken anymore. Um, so we're looking at back, back more than 15, 20 minutes of a retrospective. We're looking back decades. 40 years. So be exact. Why are you doing this? I'm, I'm making four different movies uh, because I was tasked of one of the gentlemen, uh, Corey Johnson, a delightful man, on my in my rotary club has offered to uh, take my resume to people in in his multi-billion dollar company oh wow yeah would he take and, mine well it's, <laughs> i don't know I, <laughs> I can't speak for someone else but 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 so what happened is like how do i want to show up and uh, and being a sales professional salesperson i know that 
whether something happens with with Corey's presentation or not is irrelevant because it's that I prepared for it. It's that I had a presentation, something to present. And so given my not only proclivities, but my age and experience and the deep amount of work that I've produced, um, I'm nobody would hire me as an employee because I've never been hired as, you know, only a few times, rarely have I been an employee. Um, I'm much more of a, we have a problem. Let's get this guy to come in and help us with the problem. And then it, he's too expensive to keep around. You know, that, that's been my whole life and that's just fine. And so when, when faced with this, and I, I'm, I'm, I've run out of a contract that I, that I had with somebody up in Skagit Valley, um, and so it's, it's time to present my work, and I, I never had any clarity until a few days ago about what I was going to present myself as. And I realized that, one, I need to show all my work. And I need to show it to somebody who's an executive who could see over the decades the, the, all the work that I've done in a very fast and efficient manner. And video or film, you know, makes that happen. The second piece is I need to have a package to say, oh, dear executive that I don't know or don't have any clue about what your reality is like, here's how it could be most useful to you. And so I realized that I could be a launch tractioneer. You so, mentioned that term before. Explain yes. what that term means. A launch tractioneer is a person who, and of course I have to call up my notes because <laughs> I just made a bunch of stuff up this morning <laughs> um, at launchtractioneer.com. Um, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it really is. I just, and and basically it's, if you want to make something useful in the world today, the most valuable thing to do is to engage your audience. And one of the ways to, but the best way to engage your audience is have a remarkable offer and an extremely congruent presence and that to them. So, so it's completely, so I'm the slowest typer in the world. Of course, I can't locate my notes in the middle of an interview. Launchtractioneer.com. <laughs> uh, there we are. Yeah. And I just, I just built this this morning. So I'm, I'm at the edge of uh, creating things, uh, inventing things, inventioneering, I call it. But, but the idea is that there's an opportunity for people because of the situation in the world to rethink their lives, to rethink their offering, to rethink their, uh, the, are they, is it valuable? Am I living a full enough life that should the whole world fall apart? would I be happy with myself? Do I love my work? So to me, the goal of somebody starting a business is what I call heartfelt engagement. So you want, you want people to be devoted to your work and, and you want your people to be devoted to your work. And, you know, in a nod to Seth Godin of Purple Cow, uh, that you, if you make a remarkable offer and have a congruent presence, and your engagement is heartfelt, 
which are all non-measurable things yet that are completely present in the buying experience, in the purchase experience, no matter what your business is, that I come in as a launch tractioneer, find out where the gaps are, gap analysis, yay, um, and create new realities, if you will, new situations, new ideas to look at the problem from a completely different level of understanding. Now, now it's not higher or lower, right? It's, it's, it's not a hierarchy thing. It's that so in, in we, even we had, you and I had some nice conversations about where to take the radio station and just as an idea. But, but the idea is that somebody coming in from the outside without any of the prejudices or any of the PTSD from the situations would have a whole different viewpoint that could be shared in this case with the owner because the owner is still steering the ship, the executive or whoever they are. They're still steering the ship. They'll make the decisions what's right for them and that sort of thing. But somebody who is fairly pleasant and is happy and comes from outside of the corporate construct could come in and solve a Gordian knot elegantly because I believe in beauty and heartfeltness, that that somebody from within the corporate structure can't. That's my conceit. That's why I'm building the retrospectives, because I want to take these four movies, 1980, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s, and say this: if somebody is willing and interested in it, that here's what I've done. That's my that's my newfangled wild crackpot idea. What do you think? Oh, I think it sounds wonderful. Um, <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that uh, strikes me, you, you, you're good at, at um, inventing words. Oh yeah. Yeah. Inventing words. <laughs> but I have to tell you, I think you kind of fudged a little bit from Walt Disney because isn't Disney the one that came up with the Imagineering? Yes. And you it, came up with Inventioneering? But except I'm not marketing inventioneering, I'm, I'm marketing tractioneering. Oh, okay. All right. So traction. Yeah. No, no, I agree. That would be too close to uh, the realm of, of that. Yeah. But, but the idea is as a tractioneer now in the, in the venture capital world of startups and, and that sort of thing and ideas flying around, the biggest thing a VC is looking for or any, including the business owner or the founder is looking for traction. They, if you don't have market traction, you got nothing. Then another, another one bites the dust. So the idea is that if I step forward as a launch tractioneer, how can I, how can I do one thing that's made of three things, the holy trinity of, that I made up, um, that, to come forward and provide instant value to these people who now in my projection, in my estimation, their lives are made a thousand times more difficult because the things that are happening in the world, the things that are happening in their marketplace are far outside of their um, pull my string understanding, i.e., you know, you got a pat answer for everything. That's not happening now. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because people have to run companies and that sort of thing. I'm glad. 
I'm glad the grocery store is open, you know, <laughs> really happy about that. But that's, but I wanted to say to myself when, when Corey said, well, Hey, I'll show it to my marketing team. I'm like, Whoa, cool. And so, so I had one of the things that I've been working with for many years is like, what am I going to be when I grow up? So I thought, what is the one thing that with all of my skills in graphic design and marketing and in strategic understanding and engineering itself uh, of, of, you know, flow, user flow and that sort of thing, how can you bring it all together? And it's brought together in video. Everything that I do could be put made into a video and all the skills that I have can be made into a video. And Heather, I don't even have to be the one that makes the video. I just have to know on a deep level how this is done, how films are made, how ideas are brought into reality. And that's been my whole life. One of the things that I want to talk with you about is the valley. Oh, the Valley is changing. It is changing. Carnation has plans for development on Main Street. They've had them for several years. And this year, I think, is going to be a big year, pivotal year for that. Duval certainly is changing. Um, because of COVID, um, all of the reports are saying that for the first time in many, many years, people who reside within the city limits of Seattle are now expressing a great deal of enthusiasm about getting out of Seattle. Um, and that means they don't want to leave Washington. No. They just don't, they want to leave city limits. Yes. Um, and so all those folks are probably going to be heading out to, uh, you know, to, to areas that we like to consider more rural and we want to keep them more rural or many people do. You know, there's change. Change is a coming. Change is always coming, but it seems like we're going to get dumped with a lot in the coming couple of years. A lot of the reasons, of course, are because of COVID. And there were sudden changes, you know, with sure. that, um, you know, with work schedules and whatever. Um, but there's also changes in who has the money, what industries have the money, and where are we? At? So I kind of want you to tell me your vision of how that's going to impact the valley and how a business owner, a small business owner, for example, in the valley, might be able to ride that wave and do well without sacrificing ideas of what's right and what he or she wanted to do. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, then I'm going to ask you to think about that. We're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna come back. And if I can remember that question, I'm gonna ask it for you again and you can respond. And you are listening to Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM. I'm Heather Stark. With me is Philip Brodigam. I got it right. He's given me a thumbs up. And you are listening to his ideas of how the world can work and how he can do launch tractionary. Join us after these messages. Local news, local info. Valley 104.9 FM. Planetary Radio's Matt Kaplan visits with a scientist, engineer, project manager, astronaut, advocate, or writer who provides a unique and exciting perspective on the exploration of our solar system and beyond. Sundays at 4 p.m. on Valley 104.9. The 
are three good reasons why you want to listen to the children's hour. One is because it has nice music, and two is because there are kids in it, and three is because there's lots of good, nice stories that you might want to hear. Educational entertainment for the whole family. I love the children's hour. Kids Public Radio. Sundays at 10 a.m. on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio. Radio. What inspires an author to write a book? How do novels and plays get written? Why are some books impossible to put down? Hi, I'm Richard Walensky, and I'll be speaking with authors getting to the heart of their creativity and their research on Bookwaves Sunday afternoon at 3.30 on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back to Valley Talk. Thank you for joining me, Heather Stark, and guest Philip Brodigan. He has uh, invented, he's invented a lot of words. I think he's invented a lot of concepts, and he's here sharing them with us. Um, now, you, we mentioned, Richard, at the, uh, Richard. See, I almost got through that segment. <laughs> I almost did it. Ah, jeez. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Philip. <Well played. laughs> <laughs> we're good. we all i almost did it i almost did it um <laughs> we mentioned at the beginning of our interview that you're relatively new to the valley you've been in a lot of places from michigan to chicago to seattle to hawaii and now you're back here for a number of reasons and um this is a very unique place those of us who have lived here for most of our lives considered a very unique and wonderful area but change is coming and Tell me how you foresee this change, how you think it can be launch, tractioned, or tracked, or whatever. Um, tractioneered. Tractioneered. There we go. See, I'm not only meant, you know, I should have written out all of these words on a cue card. That's what I should have done. See, if I were any kind of professional whatsoever, I would have done that. That's you know? correct. <laughs> <laughs> but I get to say it again. Yeah. <laughs> I put my name. I get to say it again. Yeah. <laughs> Philip Charles Rottergam at your service, ma'am. <laughs> but uh, the, how, you know, what you're talking about is business people and how they can, um, you know, kind of recreate themselves and how they can invent themselves and how they can promote a product or a service. How, how do you see the Valley doing that? Well, there's a number of layers to that. So in before the break, we talked about an individual person mm -hmm. and how they can, they have an opportunity now, it, they do every day, but um, with the world changing, they can make their business more uh, amenable to their personal reality, if you will, and to their clients or their, or their customers. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen too is that businesses that are obsessed with only being uh, on the corner and not online, uh, you know, do not have the opportunity to have passive revenue streams, have other forms of um, 
uh, attention grabbing situations of presence, if you will, um, because the people aren't driving past them now. They, you know, it's and that that is right up my alley of taking a a choice, uh, say retail store and taking the quirky charm of that choice retail store and making an experience online and but the key to it is is make is ferrying or coaching the owner from their current luddite self identification into opening into the right sizing the right understanding of of their presence online and what they're doing so that it's more so people most people don't have the expertise um, to evaluate that and then do it i mean that's what you might need a launch traction air for oh there we go okay <laughs> <laughs> um but the idea is that the core of that situation, this concludes all changes happening in the Valley and all business owners and all family members, people that have lived here for years, such as yourself, of opening to changes that you never even thought of. But the key to it is to be true to yourself, not true to your habits, because a lot, a lot of business owners are more true to their habits than they are to themselves that's i'm that's a projection i totally own that and i made that up i have no no numbers for anything but but my business is a psychological business it's a it's just if you will the psychosphere and the awareness of somebody has of themselves as they become more aware of what's right for them and my my conceit is that this the situation this uh that's happened uh and been put onto us, if you will, has created a lot more space for one to think about oneself and what's right for that and whether or not the business that they had before the situation is the right business for them now. Now, if we, I wanna directly answer your question about the, the valley. The valley is interesting, it's unique, it's special, it's, uh, its energy will be changed by new people moving in, you know, and, and city planners will determine how packed the people will be, you know, that we can't, and of course, construction jobs and whatnot. Um, but the other piece is to, to think about how to create more joy in your life in, in where the valley can go, how to, how to create more delight in, in the valley. Like for instance, as Carnation thinks about how, what they're gonna do with their downtown, they have an opportunity, a design opportunity, if you will, being a designer, of course, I'm looking at that, but to create something that is heartfelt, joyful and interesting to not just people that are driving through Carnation, but also people online. What's happening in Carnation? What, what, you know, are there, uh, are there situations where there's a group of businesses that are like, let's make something sparkly. Let's, let's make something that's interesting. Let's make something that's worth checking in on. The same thing with the, the Ray, the Valley radio station. It's like, let's make something a super delightful, a, a remarkable, a riveting ruckus, I like to call it, that makes it worth going to whatever platform that person is on, you know, th that 
that the, the Rekus is on, uh, whether it's radio or downtown Carnation or Duval or anything, and make it gather the attention of the people in the area to know how special their area is. And, and I know that's sort of a, a loopy loop roundabout thing, but, that it, but it's, that's where opportunity is found. Because there may be thousands of opportunities for this business, unknown business person, but, but she can't see it because she's focused on this and this and this, these three things. And then, but, but these other four things that could be an opportunity for her, she won't know that until, until she internalizes it and then says, oh, wow, I could take my business in this direction. I could take my business in that direction. And, the, the, and where does somebody get get the um, inspiration for that? I mean, if I'm, you know, Susie shop owner and I have focused on providing a product or a service yep. and the world is changing and um, maybe I have an online presence, but it's just a website and I don't get a lot of traffic and, you know, sure. And, and I'm tearing my hair out thinking, how can I compete? How can I not go under? How can I keep doing? I don't, I mean, those ideas may come to a fruitful and creative mind like yours easily. But for a lot of people, new ideas and inspiration doesn't come easily. So where well, are some outlets? Where are some sources? that? Well, it doesn't start with the new ideas. It starts with what I call the I smell poop look. <laughs> And you can edit that out if you need to, but but the idea is that it's Susie shop owners upset at deep upsetness with the situation that creates the opportunity for creative solutions. It's it's the the grouchy face of of the situation that is beyond the scope of that person's reality. It's the it's the uh, it's the executive who has has you know gone up the ranks. I'm just making this up, but gone up the ranks, and now they're running a project, and they they run into a conundrum that is, if you will, untenable. And that's what opens up the coconut of understanding. That's what that's what moves a person beyond the shell to know that they have to reach beyond the shell. Because if they're already an expert, if they think they know already what is going on, there's no reason to be creative. There's no reason for a new understanding or a new invention. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the, and that's, that's why situations that are going on in the planet right now it are a huge opportunity for people to start looking in other ways to make themselves be, to live a more richer life. My, my beloved Janice was telling me that she found out that people are looking at their relationships because of this lockdown and whatnot and cherishing them or freaking out about them, you know, depending on where you're, you're the kind of person that you're with. Um, and once a person starts realizing that their relationships are so much more important than and that includes any relationship with work with your, and especially your relationship with yourself. Because that's one thing the world doesn't teach is your relationship with yourself. And that's, that's one of the things I want to bring to the, the business leaders that decide that they need launch tractioneering is start with the relationship with themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and, and know that there's wisdom in the I smell poop look and the frowny face. Because that's an opportunity for joy. Okay. 
You had mentioned earlier uh, about uh, need, the need to create more delight uh, with everything from urban planning to uh, your business or your day-to-day -day life. The problem with that is what delights me may not delight you. What right. delights me may annoy the heck out of you. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> um, and by design, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So uh, how do we balance that? If we want to have a relationship with a customer and we're delighted by XYZ, but that customer finds it repugnant. Well, then uh, they're not your customer. Oh, they, okay. So then yeah, you, you find you orbit. I call it the vortex. Okay. You create a venturi of the delight that you have with your work, with your offering and that, that remarkable offering hooked up with the congruent presence of, of presenting exactly what it is, not, not a bunch of marketing fluff words or shoving stuff down people's throats or seven ads in one minute. No, just you're looking for your niche, the purple cow, back to the Seth Godin thing. And, and you be the love. And if you start running into people not liking what you're doing, you're on the right track because the era of mass marketing is over. So Susie shop owner may as well take it to the limit, take it to the wall about stuff that she's obsessed about and loving and passionate because you can't, nothing can go wrong because other people are, will love that too. And, and you have your market and all you need is like a thousand people to fall in love with your idea and you're set for life. I never realized that. Yeah, well, in the world of, you know, multi-scaling and, and big business and all that kind of stuff, that's those, the people that are doing that huge scaling, scaling up and making the stuff aren't looking for delight. They're looking for usefulness, mm -hmm. but usefulness is not going to help our relationship. Mm -hmm. So, especially our relationship with ourselves, but there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But for me, working with, you know, over 500 small business people, and their passion is their life and their life is their passion to realize that not only is it okay, it's imperative that they fall in love with themselves and with their life and, and everything that they do and every event that they have and every riveting ruckus is to spotlight the unique awesomeness of Susie's shop owner, including the idea that retail might not be right for her. <laughs> you know, that the idea of that a platform shift might be, it might be time for a platform shift, but without her dour, you know, not happiness, we'll put it, put it that way, um, she'll never have reached this, the realm of understanding that she's graduated from Susie shop owner to Susie scalable business model person or online experience person. Yeah, so I have to confess, I'm a little skeptical about some of this stuff. I for Good. One, <laughs> awesome. I, for one, sometimes think that happiness is a little overrated. Um, sometimes we don't really know what makes us happy until we're looking back at it. And so if we're making decisions about being happy today, that may or may not be what actually makes us happy 10 years from now. Then, then you pivot. Okay, but if you are, say, a single mother, 
you're working because you have to pay for the rent, you have to buy the kids' shoes, yep. and you've got a couple of kids. Pivoting is not so easy for a lot of people. No, pivoting is not easy. That's the whole idea why the world is the way it is, because people refuse to pivot. Well, they refuse or they are unable. Either, either it's one and the same. Oh, okay. All you right. refuse to do something, then you're unable. And the, the beauty of that is that- But you're if you're committed. unable, perhaps you want to, but you're unable. Well, and then that the pivot that they were thinking of unable to be doing isn't the pivot they should be doing. The idea is that in, a per, in the perfection of the universe, i.e. that everything is perfect just the way it is, Mm-hmm. that every person learns and grows within the sphere of their understanding. And then there's a point at which they go, like you were talking about women and children. If there was a point where you didn't have children and then now you do. And all of a sudden, all the considerations and the awarenesses and the truths and the, and the equipment to take care of this child and, and you identifying with a different way of reality inside of the childcare thing, situation. And so everything's changing around us all the time. If we refuse to pivot, that's another way, if you will, p- not pivoting is a way of pivoting because the world will crash in your head and force you to pivot to something you don't want. If you don't, you know, refusing to plan is refusing to fail, or is, is insisting on failing or in failing in question marks. If I can get your name right, next time you come back. <laughs> if I Even prom- if you can, I like it. <laughs> if I promise <laughs> to keep your name right and call you by the, the, the correct moniker, would you come back sometime and we can carry on this conversation because I'm looking at our clock and I'm going, whoa. We, we, I think we, we went over. Um, no, we didn't go over, but but we need to uh, wrap it up right now. So I'm going to write your name. Down I would love to. Yes. Big letters. And uh, we'll pick up this conversation sometime down the road. Uh, hopefully after COVID's over, I'm eager to see how everything is going to continue to change or revert back or how that fluidity is going to be accomplished once we're safe from the uh, ogre of the pandemic. So maybe that's when we can talk again about some of your ideas. Meanwhile, you you have a a handle on the launch tractioneering and I'm gonna let you perfect that before you come back and then you can tell me all about how to do it. Yes. Great. And I'm also at philipbrodigam.com, <laughs> if you can spell that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Philip. Not the nov- not to be mistaken with a novelist. Philip Brodigam, F with an M, not an N. And, <laughs> and he is a launch tractioneer. He's right here in our very own uh, uh, valley. And uh, he's going to start a business. He's going to show us how to do it. He's going to show us how to create more delight in our business world and in our personal world, I think. Thank you so much, Philip. And thank you for listening to Valley Radio. I'm Heather Stark. See you next week. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest Eclectic Music. Hi. 
I'm Seth Shostak, and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straight jacket. I'm Molly Bentley. I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM.